From Pasch to Samartan's Conversion Part 3 Jesus and Sihor Libneth When Jesus left Tyre, he proceeded alone on his way. He had sent both the disciples with orders to Capernaum, also to John the Baptist. He went from ten to eleven hours south of Tyre to the city Sihor Libneth, through which he had already passed on his journey hither. The waters of Miram, with the two cities Adama and Silentia, lay to the east on his left. Shechor Libneth, called also Amacoris, or city built upon the waters, was a couple of hours inland from Ptolemy on a small muddy lake, one side of which was rendered inaccessible by high mountains. From this lake arose the little sandy stream Belus, which empties into the sea near Ptolemy. The city was so large that I cannot conceive why so little is known of it. The Jewish city Misael was not far off. This is the country that Solomon bestowed upon King Hiram. Sechor was free, though with some little dependence on Tyre. There was much cattle raising going on in these parts. I saw numbers of large sheep with fine wool. They could swim over the water. Beautiful woolen goods were woven here and dyed in Tyre. I saw no tilling of fields, but only the cultivation of orchards. There grew in the water a kind of grain with very large stalks. Bread was made of the grain. I think they were not obliged to sow seed for this plant. It sprang up wild. The road led from Sihor to Syria and Arabia, but there was no highway to Galilee. Jesus had come to Tyre by an indirect route. There were two great bridges outside of Sihor. The one high and long, to enable the inhabitants to cross when the whole country was inundated, the other lower, affording a convenient passage under the arches formed by the upper one. The houses were built high, and so constructed that, when the city was submerged, the people could take refuge on the roofs under tents. Most of the inhabitants were heathens. I saw little flags waving from several buildings with pointed towers, which I took for pagan temples. I was astonished to see here so many Jews, although held in contempt by their neighbors, occupying handsome houses. I think they were exiles. The house in which Jesus put up was outside the city and on the side by which he had come. He had, however, to cross water to reach it. There was a synagogue nearby. It seemed as if Jesus, on his journey to Tyre, had announced his return by this route, for the people of the house at which he stopped appeared to be expecting him. They came out to meet him and received him with marks of reverence. They were Jews, the father an aged man, and the family large. They occupied a very beautiful house which, like a palace, had many wings and smaller buildings around it. Through respect for Jesus, the master of the family conducted him not only into his own house but into one of the neighboring dwellings where he washed his feet and showed him hospitality. I saw a great procession of all kinds of laboring people, men, women, and lads, a mixed crowd of heathens, some brown, some black, very likely slaves of this man, coming from their work. They filled into a large open place and took their food. They had with them all kinds of shovels and carts, and carried on their shoulders little light boats like trouse. These last were provided with a seat and rudder, and contained fishing tackle. These laborers were employed in building and repairing bridges and banks. They received food and earthen vessels, also vegetables and birds, 
the flesh of the latter, some of them ate raw. Jesus had them brought before him. He spoke to them kindly, and they were delighted to see such a man. Two old Jews came to Jesus with some rolls of the scriptures. They took a repast with him, and he explained to them many things that they were very desirous to know. They were instructors of youth. The rich Jew and master of the house at which Jesus stopped was named Simeon. It was from the region of Samaria. Either he or his forefathers had interested themselves in the temple on Mount Gerizim and had associated with the Samaritans and were on that account driven from their country. They had settled here. Jesus taught a whole day at the house of his host, in an open court surrounded by columns, over which an awning was stretched. The master of the house came and went. They were gathered in the court very many Jews, men and women of all ages. I did not see Jesus performing any cures. Indeed, there were no sick nor cripples. People here were lank and lean, but very tall. Jesus gave an instruction on baptism and promised to send some of his disciples hither to baptize. Accompanied by the master of the house, he went out on the road by which the slaves had returned from their work. He spoke to them, encouraged them, and explained to them a parable. There were many good people who were very much touched. They again received food and wages. It reminded me of the parable that speaks of the Lord of the vineyard paying the day laborers. The slaves dwelt in a row of huts about a quarter of an hour from Simeon's. There was some kind of serfdom that they were discharging by their labor for Simeon. On one of the following days, after Jesus had been preaching from early morn and the Jews had gone away, about twenty pagans came to him. For several days they had been asking to be allowed to do so. Simeon's was about half an hour from the city, and the heathens dared not approach beyond a certain tower or arch. But Simeon himself brought these newcomers to Jesus, whom they saluted reverently and begged him to instruct them. He spoke for a long time with them in a hall, so long indeed that the lamps were lighted before he finished. He consoled them, told them in a parable of the holy three kings, and said that light would one day shine upon the heathens. When the two disciples whom Jesus had sent to Capernaum returned to him as Hur, they told him that the four disciples whom he had summoned were coming. Jesus went a journey of from three to four hours over a mountain to meet them, and came up with them at an inn on Galilean territory. There were, besides those that he had called, seven others, and among them John. Some women also had come with them, of whom I recognized Mary Marcus of Jerusalem, and the maternal aunt of the bridegroom, Nathaniel. Those called were Peter, Andrew, James the Less, and Nathaniel Chasen. Although it was already dark, Jesus walked with the four and the two other disciples back to Sychor. But the seven that had not been called returned to Galilee. It was an exceedingly delightful night. The sky was clear, and a delicious fragrance embalmed the air. They walked sometimes all together, sometimes before or after Jesus, who then went on alone. Once they rested in the midst of a very fertile region, under trees laden with fruit, and in the neighborhood of green meadows and running brooks. As they started again, there rose up from the meadows a flock of birds, and accompanied them on their way. They were almost as large as hens, had red beaks and long pointed wings, like those with which angels are painted, and as they flew, they kept up the funniest twittering. The birds followed them even into the city, and there lighted among the reeds in the water. They could run on the water like waterfowl. 
It was a touching sight, the beautiful night, Jesus pausing from time to time to pray or to teach, and the birds settling around the little party of travelers. Thus did they climb the mountain and descend on the other side. Simeon came forward to meet them, washed the feet of all, presented them a cup to drink and a morsel to eat in the vestibule, and then conducted them into his house. The birds, or waterfowl, belonged to Simeon. They flew around like pigeons. Jesus taught here during the whole day, and in the evening they celebrated the Sabbath in Simeon's house, which was very high. Besides Jesus and the disciples, there were present about twenty Jews. The synagogue was in a subterranean vault and arranged in perfect order. A flight of steps led down to it. A leader sang and read in the synagogue, after which Jesus delivered a discourse. The disciples slept in the same house with Jesus. Their sleep was only a few hours long, for the gray dawn found them again on their way. They journeyed through crooked mountain passes to a little Jewish city in the land of Shabul, where dwelt some other Jewish exiles who had frequently implored to be allowed to return to their country, but the Pharisees would not permit it. Long had they sighed for a visit from Jesus, though they deemed themselves unworthy of it, and for that reason had refrained from sending for him. But now Jesus went of his own accord. The winding mountainous roads made it a journey of from five to six hours. When they neared the little Jewish city, two of the disciples went on ahead to notify the ruler of the synagogue of Jesus' coming. Although it was the Sabbath, Jesus had undertaken this journey, for here in the country, when necessity intervened, he did not strictly observe this law. He went to the rulers of the synagogue, who received him with great humility. They washed his feet, also those of the disciples, and offered them a luncheon. Then Jesus had himself taken around to all the sick, about twenty of whom he cured. Among them were people quite deformed and lame, women afflicted with a flux of blood, others blind, dropsical, and leprous, also many children. As he went along the street, several possessed cried out after him, and he freed them from the evil spirit. Order and silence reigned throughout the city. The disciples helped their master. Some assisted the cure to rise. Some instructed the crowd that followed Jesus, and gathered around the doors of the houses into which he had entered. Before curing some of the sick, Jesus exhorted them to faith, an amendment of life. Others who already believed, he cured at once. Raising his eyes to heaven, he prayed over them. Some he touched, over others he passed his hand. I saw too that he blessed water and sprinkled the people with it, directing the disciples to do the same to the house. In one of the houses he and the disciples accepted a little wine and a morsel of bread. Many of the cured, rising up, cast themselves at his feet, and then followed him joyously as we here follow the blessed sacrament, though always reverently and at a distance. But to others again Jesus gave a command to remain in their homes. He directed some of the cured to bathe in the water that he had blessed. There were the children and the leprous. Jesus went to a well near the synagogue and blessed it, casting in it at the same time salt that he had previously blessed. This well was very deep. A flight of steps led down to it. He taught on this occasion of Elysius, who with salt had rectified the water near Jericho. Then he explained the signification of salt. He furthermore commanded that the people, when sick, should use the water of the well for bathing purposes. He always blessed in the form of a cross. 
while he was thus engaged, the disciples held his mantle, which he sometimes laid off, and handed him the salt that he threw into the water. He performed all these ceremonies with great gravity and recollection. During this vision, I saw interiorly that a similar power to heal is given to priests. Some of the sick were brought to Jesus on beds, and he cured them. He delivered a discourse in the synagogue, but he took no repast, for the whole day was spent in teaching and healing. On the evening after the Sabbath, he left the place with his disciples. On taking leave of the inhabitants, who were distressed to see him go, he ordered them not to follow him, and they obeyed humbly. He had blessed and purified the water for them, because it was bad and full of snakes and animals with thick heads and long tails. About two hours from this place, Jesus and his disciples put up at a large inn among the mountains where they ate and slept. On their journey to the Jewish city, they had passed this inn at some distance. The next day, crowds of people bringing their sick gathered in the mountain inn, for they knew that Jesus was come. They were people that lived in huts and caves on opposite sides of the mountain. On the west side, toward Tyre, dwelt the heathens, who also had come. And on the east side, poor Jews. Jesus gave an instruction in which he spoke of purification, of ablutions, and of penance, and cured about thirty persons. The heathens remained at a distance, and Jesus did not teach them until the others had retired. He addressed to them a consoling instruction that lasted till after midday. These poor people had little gardens and plantations around their caves. Their principal nourishment was sheep's milk, which they made into cheese and ate like bread. The fruits of their gardens, as also those that they gathered growing wild, they carried around the country for sale. Many of them likewise furnished the dwellers, and the little city where Jesus had on the preceding day blessed the water with good water, which they carried thither in leathern bottles. Some other places were provided by them in like manner. There were many lepers among these people, for whom Jesus blessed water, in which they might bathe. Toward evening Jesus returned to Sihor Libanath, where he again taught and announced that on the following day he would baptize. In the court of the large mansion belonging to Simeon, there was a round shallow basin from which the water overflowed into a surrounding trench. Here, too, the water was not good. It had a bad taste. Jesus blessed it, casting into it at the same time salt as lumps like stones. In this region there was a whole mountain formed of salt. In that basin, which had previously been drained and cleansed, the baptism of about thirty persons took place. The master of the house, with all the males of his household, some other Jews of the place, many of the heathens that had lately been with Jesus, and some of the slaves from the hups were baptized. These last Jesus had, on several different occasions, instructed when returning from their work. The pagans were the last to be baptized. They had to prepare themselves for the ceremony by certain purifications. Jesus poured from a flask into the baptismal basin some of the Jordan water, which the disciples always carried with them, and then he blessed it. The trench around the basin was filled high enough for the neophytes to stand in it up to the knees in water. Before administering baptism, Jesus prepared the aspirants by long instruction. These latter wore long, gray mantles with hoods over the head, something like the mantles worn in prayer. When about to step into the trench around the basin, they laid aside the mantle. Their loins were covered, as also the back and breast. 
while from the shoulders fell a little open mantle, like a scapular. The disciple laid one hand upon the shoulder of the neophyte, the other upon his head. The baptizer, in the name of the Most High, poured over his head several times from a flat shell, water dipped from the basin. First Andrew baptized, then Peter, who was afterward relieved by Saturnin. The heathens were baptized last. The ceremony, including the preparations, continued till near evening. When the people had retired, Jesus and the disciples left the place separately. They met again on the road and went eastward toward Adama on Lake Merom, resting by night in the beautiful high grass under the trees.